I want to uh, take the opportunity to welcome Rabbi Nikki Liss from uh, the United Kingdom, from the UK. He is one of the uh, outstanding rabbinic leaders in the UK today. And what I mean by that is, well, we go way back. We went to Karen Biavna together. We had the opportunity to reconnect earlier this year and then again over the last, uh, the last couple of days. What I, what I mean by one of the outstanding rabbinic leaders is not only as a shul rav and as someone who's involved in the um, in the uh, chief rabbinate and the uh, and the basement and everything else that happens in the UK, but he also uh, heads the program that uh, that involves uh, continuing education for rabbis. So he's always thinking about what rabbis need. So he's, I guess, what you would call a rabbi's rabbi. I mean, he's the one that's uh, that's that's doing the most in terms of helping rabbanim uh, develop in their uh, in their professional careers and in their avodas uh, hatzibur. So what I asked him to speak about today, uh, we spoke together and I thought this would be, I think this is an amazing topic for him to speak about, is the unique influence that his own rebellion had on his rabbinic leadership. And uh, as you'll soon hear, his own rebellion are a uh, group of uh, people that you don't often hear spoken about in the same sentence together, a, w- a wide variety of, uh, of influences, and I think that uh, you guys are uniquely positioned to appreciate the full variety of the influences in Rabbi Liss's life and Rabbi Liss's Rabbanus. So I just want to thank him so much. He was really here, he's on vacation. He was here to just uh, observe and enjoy, and I put him to work right away. And I want to say, thank him for agreeing to do this, for agreeing to speak to us. I know I, for one, am very much looking forward to, uh, to hearing I say good morning to everyone. It is a remarkable um, for me to have this opportunity. I have to say I've messaged a couple of my chaverim back in London to, to, to mention the time that I've had with Rabbi Leibovitz over the last few days, and they're all very jealous of me, so I feel quite chuffed about that, actually, quite happy about that. Um, and I'll come back to Rabbi Leibovitz in a minute. Um, but I want to give the following words of introduction. And... I remember when I learnt in um, Gates of Yeshiva, I should give some of my background to pick up. I grew up in London, um, first went to Yeshiva uh, to Karen Biavna for a couple of years where I had the remarkable schuss to, uh, to become friendly with Robert Leibovitz and others. Um, then spent some time in Gateshead, was back in London in university. We don't have Yeshiva University in London. Um, and then uh, moved back to Eretz Yisrael where I learnt in Kodal for nine years. And since then, I've been a, a robber of a killer for the last 15 and a half years. A place called Highgate in London. If any of you are ever visiting, please come along, come and visit and help me out. And for the last, um, in about 2016, I became the chair of the Rabbinic Council of the United Synagogue. The United Synagogue is a um, run by the Chief Rabbi in the London Besden. There are 56 shuls in London, which are under its auspices. And I had the privilege to be the representative of the rabbinate for five years. Um, I chose the wrong five years, given that's when we had uh, COVID. And so I was um, in charge of, uh, with, with a couple of others, to actually close the shawls and then slowly bring them out of COVID and help them regenerate. Um, and during that time to look after our Rabonim and our Evertsons so that they, A, they're coping with it, and B, um, so we continue to develop. And then the last few years, I've actually uh, been involved in the professional development of all rabbis and Robertsons who are working for the United Synagogue. So that's some background. So during my time in Gateshead, I remember sitting in a Shea Arab Shavuos 
from Rav Israel Rosenbaum, Shlita, who said that he had a Kabbalah that's gone down from, from the Chassam Sofa that says, when we say at the end of Shemayna Esra, we are davening for, um, we're first davening to HaKosh Baruch Hu, that we should be able to, when we learn, have the schus to understand it and develop ourselves as B'nai Torah, but also that we're asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu to give us that opportunity to help us find our place. What is our place in the Torah world? And so sitting here as smicha students, you may be thinking about where am I going to end up? What is, what is my career looking, looking like? How can I, what area of Torah do I want to develop most? And it's something that's always, it's, since I heard that, it's been very, a very powerful tool for me right at the end of Shemona Esra, as Rabbi Lieber said earlier when we were talking, you can only wake up again when you take the three steps back. So you're awake at this point of the Shemona Esra. And you say, we should have the Siyat HaShemona to be successful and have Hatzloch in our learning, but also that we should have the Siyat HaShemona to find our right place, find our niche uh, place that we can be ambassadors of, 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 of the Rabboni Shalom, and we can spread Torah, be Marbitse Torah. So that's uh, one thing that I thought of by way of introduction, and also from my personal perspective, I never thought I would have the schus, A, to come to Yeshiva University, but secondly, to share a few words with, with you guys. So thank you for giving me that opportunity, and thank you, Rabbi Leibovitz, really, um, although I did come here to have an easy time. I cannot tell you how um, honoured I feel to have this opportunity, so thank you. Um, another word of introduction before I talk about the topic I've been asked to, but I think it really does lead in um, quite powerfully, is the importance of being a clique kibble. The importance of understanding our role as Rabbonim, as B'nai Torah, but also the way, one of the ways that we can grow the best is actually turning ourselves into clique kibble. Rav Moshe Sternbach Shlita, the rival of the Eidah Haredes in Yerushalayim, one of the Rabbonim I'll speak about a little later. I remember him telling me that he had a Kabbalah from Rabbi Eli Lapian Zatzal. So that when it comes to hearing Birchas Kohanim, he would stand in Birchas Kohanim like this. So he would stand in here to, to... So there should be a Kli to be, be able to be Makabal the Brocha from the Kohanim when he would hear it. Um, not suggesting that's what everyone should do. That's, that's what uh, Rabbi Eli... That's what Rabbi Eli helps. Rabbi Moshe does that as well. But just to reflect on that, how we ourselves can, believe, can, can be uh, we, we can be clay kevel, so what whenever we meet someone whoever it might be, and the opportunities we have to learn from great people make yourselves open to that give yourselves the opportunity to learn from people to take the best from them, and you can develop in your way as a bentora and as an ambassador of the Rabboni Shlomo so um, we, ha- we will have opportunities in our lives to, to, to learn from people. And the thing I would say to you right now is don't have regrets when you leave YU. You're here, but you're sitting in Rabbi Leibovitz's chair. Think of all the things you can learn from him. You go to the base of Medrash downstairs. You have the Gedoli Yisrael at the front of the base of Medrash. Don't miss those opportunities. Observe them. Learn from them. Talk to them. Make that, don't, don't let them ever have a quiet moment Sorry, don't let them ever have a quiet moment take those opportunities to ask those questions and just to observe and you have no idea of the impact that will have on your life and your career and the, um, and, and you, the shaping of you into a Ben Torah and I just think of that the first story I'll tell you is something that happened 30 
hope it's 30 something years ago, not more than that, 36 years ago, and it's stuck with me ever since. So, speaking about the topic that I've been asked to, but I think that's an important hope, Thomas. I want, what did I learn from the rabbinic personalities that I've come from, and how did that inform my Rabbonus? So, the first of those characters, and if you haven't listened to yet on Old Parsha, um, my late Kehillarov, Rabbi Isaac Bernstein, so he was the Kehillarov of our. Of the shul that I grew up in, Finchley Synagogue in London. He was also, you may have heard of him, between 1977 and 1981, he was the Rob of the Jewish Centre um, here in Manhattan. And actually, I remember hearing from uh, Rabbi Shechter that Rabbi Bernstein, whenever he gave his Shabbos Agodol Drosha or Shabbos Shuvah Drosha, it was a serious Talmud Chokham that he would give, he would tell it over on the Shabbos, and then on the Sunday he would come up to YU and tell Rabbi Shechter the other 90% of the Torah that he hadn't told the Kehillah. See, he had, someone, he had someone to share it with. And I have for everlasting Hakaras um, Tov, both to Rabbi Shechter and to Rabbi Willig, who were both in Karen Biafna, not long after Rabbi Bernstein was nifted. It really, it really, really set me back. And they looked after me, um, even though I didn't know who I was, and I had a tremendous Hakaras Tov to them. So Rabbi Bernstein, um, for those who've heard him, those who haven't heard him, he changed the model in the UK of a Kehillarov. We know that the role of a Rov is to be there for their Kehillah, to be, uh, to care for them. We have this from Beis Brisk, all the very stories of Reb Chaim and the Beis Halevi, the importance of actually caring for people. And of course that is the, the, the primary role of a Rov, is to make sure that everyone in the Kehillah is looked after and taken care of, especially the Yosomim and the Almonas of the but he changed the model of Arav also into a teacher of Torah. And to say, don't be afraid to teach Torah. And don't be afraid to teach it passionately. Have you ever heard of how he brings the Gedoli Shol mummish to life and paints them as luminaries, as the people who guide us in our lives of how, uh, of how we should act? And that's something that he impacted on me at a young age and so many others um, in the way he taught Torah. Uh, the story I want to tell you is that I remember when I was a little 12-year-old boy, I didn't daven in the same minion as my father, because my father had to go to work very early and had to sort of go somewhat into town to daven on the way to work. So I used to walk, walk to shul by myself in the cold winter mornings. And then when I would come into shul, Rabbi Bernstein would give me a little pinch on the cheek. That pinch on the cheek, you probably can't do that nowadays. There are other ways, there are other ways of expressing that ahava, that appreciation that a little 12-year-old boy is coming to shore, that has stayed with me now. I still feel that pinch 36 years later. So you have no idea the, 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 the impact that can have. And just to think about his style and, and, and a message that stayed with me, we know at the end of Parashas Vayetze um, that Yaakov Avino has now suddenly uh, left Aesop and he's travelling to... Um, sorry, let's get this right... Yes, Yaakov Avinu has just left Aesop and he's travelling towards Eretz Yisrael and right at the end of the parish he says Rashi points out why is Machanoim in the plural and Rashi answers that we've got two sets of Malochim you've got the Malochim who are leaving him and the Malochim Eretz Yisrael that are now turning up and so the Ramban asks hold on a second you know we're near Eretz Yisrael why are the Malochim Eretz Yisrael turning off this one and the Ramban has a has an answer which is probably politically incorrect. Nowadays, talking about the expansion of Eretz Yisrael, you've got to the area of the extra the the, uh, of the, the, the extra nations that ultimately will become part of Eretz Yisrael, and that's why. 
The Maral in Gur Aryeh disagrees, and he defends Rashi and says, no, the Malach, it's the reason the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael now turn up is because we make a mistake that thinking that Malachim are a function of position. He says, no, they're a function of direction. So as Rabbi Bernstein said in mathematical terms, I don't know if anyone here is studying maths, but in mathematical terms, Malachim are a vector, not a scalar. What does he mean by that? He says, and, and he, he, he went into Mahalach, the Maral, and then Rabbi Bernstein, that the way we work is, HaKadosh Baruch looks at what direction we are heading in. Not what our starting point is, but what is our direction. And that's why he says, the famous question, why do we say, Baruch Shem, out aloud on Leil Kol Nidre? He says, we say it because we're Domer Lamalochem. And, but he says, but if we're Domer Lamalochem, when are we more Domer Lamalochem? At Kol Nidre, when we've just, we've just, you know, we've just had our Sudam Afsekes, we're running to Shul to get there. When are we more Domer Lamalochem? Are we more Domer Lamalochem than them? Or at the end of the Tarnas, when we've spent 25 hours dedicating our life to HaKadosh Baruch and doing tshuva and fasting, when are we more Domer Lamalochem? He says, surely you would have said, on Moitzi Yom Kippur, that's when we say Baruch Shem out aloud. He says, no, because Moitzi Yom Kippur, what are we thinking about during Mara Yom Kippur? We're thinking about what we're going to go back, what we're going to eat, when we're going to set up our sukkah, thinking about the next few days. He says, but on Leil Kol Nidre, that's when our direction is towards a day of, of tshuva, a day of fasting, a day of dressing, like Malach, of you know, no shoes, etc. So he says, again, there, uh, the, it, our, our lives are dependent on our direction, not our station. And so that idea from Rabbi Bernstein has always stayed with me. Think about, let's try each day to make sure we're doing a little bit more, taking a step further and improving and going vital. So that's just in a, in a nutshell, um, something about Rabbi Bernstein. And I see we've only got 15 minutes, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. Make sure I cover the other three. And the other three Rabbeim that I've had over time was, first it was Ramatisiel Solomon. I went to Gateshead after Karen Biavna and managed to maintain a relationship with Ramatisiel. Very sadly, he was Nifta um, about just a, a couple of months ago, and I, I last saw him at the CM Hashas in New Jersey. Um, rabbi Sachs, who was the chief rabbi in Great Britain, and who also very tragically died young um, during COVID, not because of COVID, but during COVID, and then Yibodel ben Chaim Lachaim, Rabbi Steinbach, who I was with for Shabbos about three weeks ago, on Chof Dalad Shvat, which is his birthday, and he was marking his 98th birthday, so uh, quite remarkably. And I think the common denominator between these three, and it's difficult for me to say about this about Rabbi Bernstein because he was nifter so long ago, so I didn't have that, don't have that knowledge of his personality, um, but more his Torah. And all three, the three that I'm going to speak about, all the the, the two things that connect them all is the is the emphasis they all put on tefillah and, and emunah. Everything about Ramatzio, Rabbi Sachs, and Rabbi Steinbach is tefillah and emuna were were iba alas. Also, that whenever you went into a room or if you go into a room with any of them, they make you feel like a million dollars. I probably have to, with inflation, say now two million dollars. <laughs> but they make you feel feel like you are the only person there, like they care about you, and that's an amazing skill. That as a rov, as a mashbia, as whatever it might be, to really. Look at that person in the eye that's coming into the room and make them feel welcome, make them feel there. And that's something we've seen with all of them. They also, importantly, have a sense of humour. Humour is important. And um, I've, I've seen them all as the, the, the sense of humility each of them have or had 
also made an impact on me. So let's see. With Ramatsu, I think there was one vault I heard from him. I remember he was speaking at a Levaya many years ago in Parashas Pinchas, which really, I think, talks about his style of leadership, although he was speaking about someone else. We know Parshas Pinchas, Moshe Rabbeinu realizes that he's soon, he's not allowed to go now to Israel. So he asks HaKadosh Baruch Hu to, um, to choose a new leader for Klal Yisrael. And he uses the language of Elokei HaRuchos. Elokei HaRuchos, um, he asks HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And Rashi says, well, what kind of language is that? And Rashi says, he says, Rashi says, Rabbeinu Shalom. He says, Moshe is saying Rabbeinu Shalom. You know that the days of each member of Klal Yisrael is different. Please appoint someone over them who, like you, like you, can understand that everybody is different. You've got to treat each person according to their needs, their desires, their their attributes, um, rather than just doing a one-size-fits-all. And so HaKadosh Baruch responds in that way, and Rashi tells us he finds someone who in, in Yahushua who will be able to do that, but he also says something else, which is, he gave something that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't ask for, and what was that? He he gave says him and you know Yes, I'm going to appoint a leader, but it's also important that a leader has somebody else to turn to. You've always got to have someone. Never do things by yourself. Always have someone to consult and advise you. And so that's something that I really learned from Ramatasio as well. He was someone who taught me how to be a listener, how to care, how to advise. And he also saw how all of us could rise to our best selves. And that's something that Rabbi Sachs did as well. No, everybody I've spoken to went into Rabbi Sachs for advice, no matter their level of religiosity, also no matter if they were Jewish or not. I've spoken to a number of politicians <coughs> over time who have said to me they went into Rabbi Sachs and he challenged them to really, to, really, to, to really work on themselves and to become the best versions of themselves that they can. We know what that means in our paradigm to become the best B'nai Torah we can and to become Mashpiyim. That's what, so both Ramatsio and, and, and Rabbi Sachs would spend time encouraging people, really making them feel good and really making them feel that they could, they could steig. Um, the other um, really important Vatora that really makes me think about Ramatsio and actually how he encouraged us is the following question. I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, this is from Rabbi Chaim but I have to check it up and see where it's from. We think about the Shemona Esri we daven every day, three times every day, and then compare and contrast that with the, Shema, with the, with the Amidah that we say on Rosh Hashanah. When we say, Meloicha kola ilam kuloi, we ask, we mamlecha kodesh baruchu through that tzfila. And if I were to ask you, what would be more important, which would be more appropriate for Rosh Hashanah? On the day when our parnos is decided for the year, our, 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 our health, and everything else is decided for the year, we would have thought, without knowing anything else, we would have thought, on Rosh Hashanah, that's the time to ask for bracha, that's the time for us for paranos and that's when we ask for Rosh Hashanah, and the rest of the year, we should be, we should be and recognizing that all the, uh, the gifts we have from HaKadosh Baruch But Ramat gives a marshal where he says as follows, imagine that there was, there's a country where there's one central storehouse where you get all your building materials from. And each day, you're building a house and you queue up, you line up, probably in America, there's no word, you line up to get those materials. And then one day you see there's a fellow who actually, he bypasses the lines every day. You know, he, he, you know there's one lane of traffic 
you know, coming into Manhattan, the one-lane traffic that's just set aside for him to go in each day, day, and he gets the bricks he wants, he gets the cement he wants, he gets the windows he wants, and everyone complains, you know, why, how does he get to the front of the line every day? And the uh, officers looking there says, you don't understand, you're building houses for yourself. He's building a house for the king, so of course, we, he's decided, he's offered to build a house for the king, so of course he gets first choice every morning. So he says, that's what we're doing on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, we're davening so that we recognize, we're Mamlech HaKadosh Baruch remember, that is our Mabat, that is our outlook, that's, that's what we spend the year doing. Is, so Rosh Hashanah, the day where it's also, we remind ourselves that we are here on this planet to be Mamlech HaKadosh Baruch and then the rest of the, each day, we're asking for those things that will help us be Mamlech HaKadosh Baruch And so that's why it's that way around. And so I think all three of my rabbeim that, that I'm going to speak about now, Ramatsyor, Rabbi Sachs, and Rabbi Sternberg, they live their lives like that. <coughs> they live their lives that every moment there is to be Mamlech HaKadosh Baruch on this on this world. And so um, that's something I really got out of Ramatsyor. The particular skills or attributes were the importance of being being a listener. And it's a really interesting exercise. If you have a conversation with a friend later, um, try and have that conversation where you don't interrupt. It's really hard. You don't interrupt. Each of you speak to each other and have a minute each to speak to each other. After about 15 seconds, you're going to be in so much pain. But the, that's something that Ramatis taught. How to be listened to. Listen to each person. Everybody's different. Listen and care. And that's something from him. So Rabbi Sachs, who um, I got to know after my yeshiva crew, when I joined the rabbinate, I became one of his rabbis. I was working for him and with him, and he took a real interest in the younger rabbinate. He also coached me through my masters and helped me afterwards. When I became the chair of rabbinate council, he said he, he opened his door for me to ask him Aitza. So I really had that opportunity to spend time with him. We also supported the same football team, which was quite important, and we didn't discuss that much, he didn't really care that much but famously he did go to a game when he was appointed chief rabbi and in England we have the head of the Church of England, it's called the Archbishop of Canterbury, they'd just both been elected and they were both Arsenal fans and so they both went, so someone thought that would be a great way to launch their leadership they, they both went to a game together where they launched a charity before the match and then Arsenal went on to suffer their greatest defeat for over 63 years. So Rabbi Sachs got phoned up by one of the newspapers the next day and said, doesn't this prove that God doesn't exist? <laughs> you can see, and so Rabbi Sachs, as quick as flesh, says, no, it just shows he supports the other team. <laughs> um, as everyone knows, he had relationships with the most extraordinary people. The story is told. He didn't tell the story, but I heard this from Tony Blair, the former Prime Minister, he said this publicly, that when Rabbi Sachs came to uh, Yitzchak Robin's Leviathan, he flew back on a small plane with the then Prince Charles, who's now King Charles III, with Tony Blair, who was the leader of the opposition, became the Prime Minister. And they were talking for the first five minutes flight, and then Rabbi Sachs went to the back of the plane and started to be Mavo Parsha. And after five minutes, Tony Blair comes over and says, what are you, Jonathan, what are you doing? He says, he says, I'm studying this week's Torah portion to teach in, in synagogue. So he says, can I join you? So Tony Blair sits there and learns with him. He says, five minutes later, Prince Charles comes over. He goes, Jonathan, Tony, what are you doing? And so he said he had a chabura with the future king and the future prime minister. And what's fascinating 
is that they then both, once a month, went to study with Rabbi Sachs. And so that's how you build good relationships. And he was a man with, with huge amounts of, uh, of influence. But, you know, you contrast that the other way. I took my kids to be Makabal Pnei Rabbi Beregel on Sholomoid Sukkos. It would have been a year and a half before he was... Uh, it was just over a year before he was Nifta. And he said to my kids, he said, you know, I put up the sukkah, but I'm not great at DIY. I'm not great at this. And he says, the first year that we got married, um, he said that his next door neighbor built the fanciest sukkah on the planet. And there was he, this guy just got married, trying to shelf his wife and build a sukkah. He says he put this, it was, he said it was just about kosher, but he wasn't sure that it would survive the first day. And then in England, they had a hurricane that night that was a hurricane that, uh, you know, very few sukkahs survived. So he goes out the next day, his next-door neighbor's sukkah is all over the place, didn't survive, but his did. And he says, and it hung by one nail, that he had nailed the sukkah onto the house. And he said to my kids, and they, you know, it's really made an impact on them, he said, that's Emunah. He says, we, if we attach ourselves to the Rabboni Shlolom, he says, we can be faced with the biggest hurricanes in our lives and the biggest storms, he says, but we remember that we anchor ourselves to the Rabboni Shlomo, and that's what, that's, what, that's what keeps us through all these winds and through all of that. And that's I mean, an impact on me as well, but an impact, um, an impact on, our, on, on the way we look at the world and the way, you know, even someone who would mix with kings and queens and prime ministers, at the end of the day, that which held him, like Yosef HaTzadik, who comes in front of Paro, he says, it's, it's HaKadosh Baruch, and I saw that in Rabbi Sachs. And just observed him do that. The other things, um, he, he, he was very famous for saying that non-Jews are proud of Jews who are proud of their Judaism, and non-Jews are embarrassed of Jews who are embarrassed of their Judaism. So he would encourage people, this we encourage our Kehla members, but ourselves as well. Don't ever make excuses for Yiddishkeit. Don't ever be embarrassed, but be proud of being Jewish, be proud of Eretz Yisrael. And he said we have a sacred duty to protect them. Just remember that a sacred duty. I've only got two more. Oh, no, that's faster than that. I've got four more minutes, I think. So I um, want to share a few things about Rabbi Steinmach. If there are questions, I don't know if that's appropriate right now, but uh, if there's anything I'm leaving out. But Rabbi Moshe Steinmach, as I think we mentioned yesterday, and I think you've shared a couple of. Sorry, he knew everybody. He knew everybody from historically from Rabbi Chonon onwards. He was Rabbi Chonon Wasserman came to London twice a year because he would go to America his real target was America but he would come via ship for aeroplanes and you know a long time ago and so he would stop off in the UK every time he was going to America so he, and he stayed in the Sternbach house so Rav Moshe knew him from the age of seven onwards and um, although I've shared the story that Rav Moshe told me about us not having any musuk of Rav Ochonon he did then tell, tell me some stories so let me share one with you. He says he was with Rabbi Chonon on one Shabbos when he was staying in his house, and they walked to Shul, and there was a sign on the house. This would have been just before Rosh Hashanah in 1933. There was a sign on the Shul that the Chofetz Chaim was Nifta. He says, but Rabbi Chonon had already been Makabal Shabbos. Since he saw the sign, took it in, didn't mention it the entire Shabbos. He says, they made Kavdolam Motzi Shabbos, and Ramosha says this made such an impression on him. He was seven years old at the time. He says, the moment Shabbos went out, they made Havdalah, 
Rabbi Hanan fell to pieces and cried like a baby for an hour. He says, just a, a musuk of a, of a God will be strong from a different era, that's what he shared, um, he, he shared with us. Um, other stories will come back to, but he, uh, his Rosh Hashiva was someone called Rabbi Schneider. And so a story he shared on Cholomoid Sukkot this year, which everyone wants to say, oh, he was a Navi, he was predicting everything. That's not what was happening. He shares this story often, and he wants to point that out. He says, uh, before Simchas Torah in 1943, the European Bokram came up to him and said, how can we celebrate Simchas Torah? He says, we don't know whether our parents are still alive. We don't know what's happening to our families and our kahilas in Europe with the Nazis, Yimach Shavon. How can we celebrate Simchas Torah? Rabbi Schneider said to him, and this has remained with him since. He says, Hitler Yimach Shemoy can destroy our Olam Hazer. But he has nothing on our Olam Habo. He says, and that is what we are celebrating on Simchas Torah. We're celebrating the Nitzchus of Klausel. We're celebrating the Torah. That the Nazis, Yimach Shavon, have no say in and we think how powerful that was to think about on Simchas Torah this year and, and, and future Sim, uh, Simchas Torahs as well. Also, Maestro, as a family, we were privileged to eat by Ramosha for Shabbos lunch once every four or five weeks. And I remember, I don't know if I told you this story, but um, Shabbos morning, he went into the kitchen to serve us chulant. Think of the scene. You've got a gas stove. You call them gas stoves here? Gas stove. And on top of that, you have a blech. On top of that, you have the pot in which the chulant is... Um, is boiling and I saw Rav Moshe take the ladle the, the pot is still on the gas and, and ladle it out into the bowl what might be the problem with that? anyone? so it's Hagasa we know the Mishnah Brewers mucked it for the cold boy anyway, Rav Moshe has his back to me and he says I know what you're thinking he says but I saw the Chazonish do this he says, and if you're not comfortable, you don't have to eat it. <laughs> he says, but the Chazanish, who's, who, who had a problem with, with uh, metal blechs, and said that it was a much bigger problem of Chazorah, and so therefore he was Mekel on Hagosa, whereas the Mishnah was Machna. So you see that just to see someone lives a life, but actually, Rav Moshe, the thing that's really, uh, and a couple of weeks ago when I was by, by him for Shabbos, it was Shabbos Mavorachim, Adar Aleph, he called it, which I thought was interesting in his, uh, just in terms of Maiserov, when doing he said, when he davens, he is literally talking to the Rabbi Nishlam. And that's something, whether it's saying Kriya Shema, and whether it's davening from the Omad, he also, as with Rabbi Sachs and Ramatsio, and Rabbi Bez, they all have beautiful voices, and I was privileged to hear them all daven from the Omad. You see them really talking to the Rabbi Nishlam, and Ramosha, when he davens, to, just to learn from someone. If any of you in Eretz Yisrael, that's difficult to get in. There's always shacharis in his home at 7.30. I can't tell you the time of Marek, it depends on the year. There's always shacharis in his home at Four Cats in Erlenbergen, in Harnoff. If you're ever there, go daven by him. And you see someone who has been talking to the Rabbonin Shem for 98 years. And that's the, the emuna, the tefillah. And um, just to see him say, a krishma, to see him say, a shemayna esra, is something we can all learn on, and that's something that has guided me as well. Hopefully, one day I can get to to, to, to the knees of any of these rabbonim who have, I've been privileged to spend time. With. But actually, it's it's about learning from people. It's about seeing their examples and seeing how they interact with others. Just observe and make yourselves into a kli kibble to actually imbue that into your own lives. And remember, as I started off by saying, and when we dub them, they're saying, the sing and each of you should have a hatzlocha, 
to, um, to fulfill your ambitions wherever it is in the Torah world, to be an incredible Maravitzei Torah, to be ambassadors of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to spread His Torah, and to really um, raise the level of all the people you come up to. So I wish you much Hatzlocha. Thank you for giving me the time. Thank you, Rabbi Leibovitz, for giving me the time to share with you. And I'm very much looking forward to your share. Any questions? Any questions? Don't be scared. It's usually in England, no one asks a question. I have, we have Americans who we rely on to ask the first question. Yes? Is there too much to learn with So I didn't tell you what he taught them. He didn't, to, you know, he was being man of a parasha to himself, but he was, he, he then took the opportunity. I remember him telling me the following story. Tony Blair phoned him late at night. Tony Blair, I assume you've heard of. He, he together with George W. Bush. Yep. So he used to, well, he still probably does, read a chapter of Bible every night. And he phoned Rabbi Sachs one night to say, I've got to the boring bit. And so, so Rabbi Sachs said, which one? And he said, <laughs> he said, he was just, he said, I've got to, you know, the book of Exodus. He said, what's going on there? So the second half of the book of Exodus, Exodus, just building and building and building. So Rabbi Sachs said, he said, I had to give an answer that was relevant to him. So he said, count the number of verses that are there for the building of the tabernacle. And let's say, let's say it's 210. And now I want you to go to the beginning of the book of Genesis and count the number of verses that are there for the creation of the world. And let's say it's 30, it's probably a few more, whatever. So he said, so look at that. The Almighty values that which we build at least seven times more than he values what he built. I mean, that's a possible but the Gemara talks about it that we value, that the Kodesh values that which we make. So he was using Torah to, um, and Jewish values, as he does in many of his books, to explain to them and actually but, but bringing them closer to understanding the Jewish community. And these two people became the king, became an Oyev Yisrael. As did, and you saw that on so on October the 9th this year, because October the 8th was Sunday, was Yom Tov. October the 9th, the Prime Minister came to the biggest shul in London to express his um, horror at what had happened and his support of the Jewish community. And the king called in the chief rabbi to also do that. Now, when the king calls in someone, it's often a quiet meeting, but he put it out on his social media as well to show that I am there with the Jewish people. That comes from the relationships that are built. So I'm sure whatever he taught was in a permitted way, but I, I was just telling the story as what he was doing up to that point as well. So I'm not going to comment on whether it's permitted <laughs> or not, but I'm sure what he did was in a permitted way. Yes? Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, when you have discussing being a base kid with such a diverse group of Yeah, that's a really hard question. We've run out of time, yeah? <laughs> so I, 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 I did want to thank Ilan Kesa, who asked that, who uh, got me thinking about that yesterday. So thank you, thank you, Ilan, as well. And thank you for that question. So it's, 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 it's a hard question. I'm going to, whatever I say, probably doesn't answer it sufficiently. But I think, um, but, but I think it's as follows. When we lived in Haranoff, 
Um, I was living in um, a Haredi environment, living the life of a Bentura who was in Kolo. But actually, when I spoke to Rav Moshe about it, I assume that's the one. I mean, also, I mean, at different stages. So, so um, Rabbi Bernstein, who never really got to have these discussions with, because he was nifter three weeks into my yeshiva career. I still feel the pain of it. I was called out of the base of Medrash in Karen Biavna, three weeks into Elul, it's the first day of Slichas, and saying, uh, my mother's trying to get hold of me desperately, go phone her. And I just still remember that phone call and the devastation that that was. So I never really got to discuss, you know, as a teenager, yes, I spoke with him, but as a, as, as, as a yeshiva man, as a, as a rov, I never got to, I think of those conversations that I could have had with him, but didn't, uh, didn't have that privilege. Um, Learning um, with Rav Matzioh and uh, Rabbi Sternbach, I, I in in each of those they help shape me as a Kehillerov. And uh, when I first said the, the name of the Kehillerov I'm in is is Highgate, and Rav Moshe comes from London. He said Highgate. He says I haven't been there for 66 years. And he told me a story of of someone he met in Highgate 66 years before, but and that was that was 16 years ago. Um, and so, so each of them shaped me in terms of being a rov of a kahila. Um, I don't think I, I think the one area, and I've discussed it at Ramosha, that I really we didn't see eye to eye on. We couldn't uh, we could we couldn't work was was about Eretz Yisrael, was about the Medina, was about Israel, and so we agreed to disagree. I mean, it's not for me to agree or disagree with the God of Israel, but I had other rebbeim as well, and we discussed that openly. We discussed that's an amazing thing when you build a relationship you can discuss that openly but I think on everything else guiding me how to lead a kahila, how to care for Klalisrol, the, the differences aren't that great actually um, and you know when I was when I was younger emotionally used to ask me what's the chief rabbi saying about this you know Rabbi Sachs had a worldwide name I think he retired from the chief rabbi in 2013 that was you say he became the world's chief rabbi after that because he became so, and I hope some of you had the privilege. He was in America quite a bit. I don't know if you how much you got to hear him. Um, and so the differences aren't that the differences aren't that large. Um, Rav Matasio encouraged me to become a bentora and and to think it's it's about thinking about people. It's about caring about people and being an ambassador for the Rebbeim. All four of them were exactly aligned in all of that. I think Eretz Yisrael. I think Rav Moshe. I got to know after I'd come out of university. So um, that may have been a different discussion, uh, 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 but um, on that Ramatio, I knew throughout my unit, I was popping up to Gateshead, and it was a bit difficult to take the train to Stroll just for the weekend. So whenever I had a week break in university, I would go, I would take the train up to Gateshead and sit there for the week. And he uh, he he was very supportive of everything I did, and he understood that you know perhaps what you say to the Hamoin arm is different from the advice you give to individuals. What's right for them. And so um, I never felt, I never, except for issues around Eretz Yisrael, I never felt a conflict with any of them. None of that. But, um, but I think in terms of, um, in terms of developing and becoming a clique kibble, just to be able to learn from Ahavas Yisrael, to learn about them, and actually if there are areas you disagree with, to discuss them. People are not scared to be asked questions. So, um, so Rav Sternbach lives in. Uh, so it's a very different world that he occupies. It's a very different world that he occupies. Um, and everyone agrees. Chochma Tamin, and he 
he actually told me a story that when he was uh, when he was in school, he um, he actually he actually bunked school. Do you have that term, bunking school? I don't know. Taking the day off. What would you call it? Truant. Playing truant. He told me. He, huh? Ditching. Yeah. Ditching school. He played truant the day Rabbi Hanan went back to Europe for the last time. I told you the story. He was at the so the story is well known that Rabbi Hanan was at the train station and somebody there asked Rabbi Shiva, how can you go back to Europe? And he famously said, the captain has to stay with their ship. That part of the story is known. That part of the story is well told. The next part of the story wasn't told. We only know it because Rabbi Moshe played truant, ditched school for the day. He said, someone said, yes, the Rabbi was right. Nothing's going to happen. He said, I didn't say that. He says, we don't know what's going to happen. He says, and we, but we have a haftocho, ki lo We know that the Torah will never be forgotten, but we don't know how many people will be left. He says, and with that, and he says, and with that, he says, but a captain has to stay with the ship. Actually, that was the story, he t- I must have told that. That was the story he told me, that you have no, you know, he was crying. Ramosha was crying when he told me that story. That's, that's, but he was, a, he was at school till he was, uh, although his mother got fined because he left school a year early to go to, to go to yeshiva. In those days, there were fines, and there, there might be fines if you leave school. Um, when, 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 when there. But he, um, he told me that he was, he entered a national essay competition through all the schools. He went to, he went to a non-Jewish high school till the age of 15 when he left school, and he came second in the country in an essay. And he's convinced it's because of anti-Semitism that he didn't come to the country. <laughs> he wrote an essay on cruelty to animals. But yes, he, his, his engagement would be less because, you know, everything, you can see it all through the Torah. His life is Kuloi Torah. Yeah? Uh, Shore was a little bit more open to that. We know that he, his, his last battle was not against the internet, but was against, it was about controlling the internet. And what a, and what a Tova he did for closer. The, 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 the internet can and has created Khurbanos in families. Um, but with, um, as I mentioned to, to Rabbi Leibovitz before, he told me that the, the internet before filters was like, dry, was like cars before there were any rules on the road. Can you imagine trying to drive in from North Woodman to Washington Heights without any traffic lights or any, or any, any laws on the, in, in, in any driving laws? I don't think it would be... It, 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 you wouldn't get here. And, um, but whereas Rabbi Sachs clearly, clearly, clearly um, believed much more into the... But he, he, he believed in it very strongly in using, using the, the secular world. But for him as well, it was about using the secular world to um, to add kedusha in our lives, it, it was it, he enjoyed it. He enjoyed literature and things like that, and he very much a chosid of Ravara and Lichtenstein in this as well. Um, but ultimately, everything in his life was to make a kiddush Hashem, and so it was different different styles, different flavors, clearly different shitas in how to in how to use the use use or not use the secular world. Yeah, they definitely all had different views on that. Yes. Yeah, so how do those impact you, and how you? How do those impact me? Um, differently, each, each of them, each of them differently. Different aspects of my life as well. So I, I grew up in the world of Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi Bernstein, Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi Bernstein was very similar to that. Um, and I do, I, I read a lot of, I read a lot of secular, secular literature. I actually, I mean, I said this off I can't stand English literature. But that's just, that's nothing to the Hashkafa. <laughs> you know, I was made to read 
which Shakespeare in school I never understood it. I mean, what was the point? But that's don't. If anyone's majoring in English, don't don't quote me on that. You know, hopefully you enjoy it. But um, now I do a chokhmah time, and I think there's a lot of beauty in the world. And I, there's a story told as well, just in terms of the world, that Rav Hirsch was once asked. Um, Someone was asking, why did you go on holiday to the Alps? What a waste of time. So he said, no, it's not conscious response. And then we asked, did you see my beautiful Alps? I, I made them for you. And so, yes, appreciate beauty, appreciate nature, appreciate the things in your life. Um, so uh, where would I say I am on the spectrum? I'm the closest, somewhere somewhere between Rabbi Sachs and Rabbi But, uh, you know, that's just my personal thing, but that's where I've come from. But I, re- I, I do read a lot um, of secular literature, so certainly... Psycho- psychological stuff to help me as a Rob. I find it very helpful to help me understand myself as well. There's a lot, the way some of these books are phrased and framed, I think they are incredible in helping us understand ourselves and therefore build myself. So I see that all as helpful in developing me as a Bentera. So that's where I am. What do you think would be one of the Um, so I'll say that there's a, there's a program in, in England called Desert Island Discs where everybody is sent away theoretically on a desert island. You're asked to choose eight tracks of music, and you're given you're asked you're allowed to take one luxury item, and you're told to take three books. You take the Bible, the complete works of William Shakespeare, and get to choose one more. Rabbi Sachs was asked what he would take. So his luxury item was pen and unlimited supply of pen and paper, and the third book he would take was the entire Shas. So how better? I mean, we can't go better than that. Um, that's my answer. No. But in terms of are there are there books as a, it depends what area you're going to. This is Rabonus Kahila Rabonus. I think there's a, there's a book published. Um, Rabbi Twersky had a hand in this. Rabbi Twersky, and a, a rabbi, Dr. Levitz, I think, and and, and Dr. Pelkov is involved in that. The guide to, the guide to rabbinic counselling. That's uh, that's been a really powerful and important talk. It needs to be updated actually, because it's. I remember reading it a while ago, and the world has changed. But just to understand people and to understand the challenges and to understand how, as a rabbi, we can deal with that. That's that's uh, that that's one particular book. I think that there are lots of other books out there, depending on what your sheifas are and what your natural talents are and what areas you're looking to. And I could I could give personal recommendations as well. But as a one book for a Rob to have. That's that's. I don't know if you agree or disagree. It's excellent. Yeah, I don't know if there's another book you'd recommend for this. Yeah. Um, what age did you give to your comrades about the about the difficult state of the world and about you know all the unique challenges in Britain and et cetera, et cetera? Um, something I got from Rabbi Sachs and Rav Matasio as well, is the importance of always giving hope. It's something we learn, you learn when dealing with people who are sadly ill. The moment people lose hope, they give up. And so it's really important to give messages of, of hope and tying that in, of course, with, with Emunah. So we talk about the Rabboni Shalom, we talk about Emunah, Emunah and Hashem, it has to be that way. That's, that's the framing, of course, you can add all sorts of examples around that. But it has to be framed around it's 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 around emuna and the rabbanu shalom and hope that you know things will things think firstly things will always work out for the best and things will get better. It's important. That's it. I mean, there's a bigger answer, but I think that's the the nakuda. Thank you, Marcel. And also, in terms of 
the anti-Semitism that we're seeing today in a way that we've probably never seen in our lifetimes. How do you think Rabbi Sachs would say we should address that? So, Zerika, we, we're writing something at the moment on that. We're gathering some of his writings. My closest friend, one of my chavrusas, has access to his archives. And so we're going through that. I'm going to publish something soon, which I'll send to Rabbi Leibovitz to share with the sh- to, to share with the share. If that's, I, I don't mean that as a cop out. This is a real answer, and you'll have a real answer in the, in the near future, because it's. I mean, I remember speaking to last year. I, sp- I spoke to my father to ask him to remind me what it was like in 1967, what it was like during the Six Day War living in London, and the news coming out of the BBC. You may have heard of the BBC, and you may have heard. <laughs> that recently they haven't been so friendly. It's not new. In 1967, they weren't either. In 1967, my father said for the first five days of the war, everything was coming out of how Eretz Yisrael was being destroyed and the Yidden all being killed. And my father said they were walking around London in sackcloth and ashes. And he said that, he said, I, and someone from my Kehillah told me that they took a, a major exam in the middle of the war, not knowing if Eretz Yisrael would still exist at the end of the exam. So that's a different... And my father said the most euphoric moment of his life was when they heard the news that Yerushalayim had been recaptured and, and, and Eretz Yisrael was safe and the Six Day War was over. So, and my, but my father said, so that I spoke to him about last year, then spoke to him again about the Yom Kippur War. We had the 50th anniversary of Yom Kippur this year. And so different times, times we had an experience. And now he is telling me that this is, this is nothing we've seen before. We, we ha- I mean, obviously we have, as a nation, we have seen this before. But we haven't seen it. But the most important thing to grab onto, and this is also Parshas Vayetzis, the Chovetz Chaim, talking about when Yaakov Avinu decides when to leave Lovon, he says that the Chovetz Chaim says, don't look at the Hamoin Am. The Hamoin Am are always against us. Look at the governments. And in Britain, in Britain, the Prime Minister actually gave a speech last night to a Jewish charity where he said, I'm going to make it absolutely clear, I'm not calling for a ceasefire until all the hostages have been re- returned. And the King of England as well is saying the same things. So it's important. So, so the, the Chovetz Chaim says when the leadership is on your side, if the leadership turns, he says that's the moment to go and live in Eretz Yisrael. He says the leadership. So there are moments of, of hope. Also, what you're seeing on your screens, or what you're seeing that's happening in London, they are just very coordinated. The pro-Palestinian movement is very coordinated, and they're coming into London on the Saturday, I mean, their day. They come there, and you aren't there in those areas anyway, and they certainly shouldn't be out on, on the Shabbos, um, and they're having their big rallies. The police are not doing a good enough job, and they're scared, and that's a problem. And the politicians are scared, and that's a problem. Um, but remember that the, the government and the, and, and the royalty are in favour. And you see that here as well. I think people were surprised about how supportive Joe Biden was at the beginning of the war, to support support Eric Stroll, which is really important. It's, it's about the government. Does that answer the question? But Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>